Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. Today, we're very happy to have L.E. Modisett Jr. on the show. He's the best-selling author of two science fiction series, four fantasy series, has published more than 70 novels, and his latest book, Quantum Shadows, is described as blending science fiction, myth, and legend in an adventure that pits old gods and new against one another in a far future world. Lee, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be there. Or here, <laughs> anywhere, all across we're, the we're dimensions. We're in the virtual, in the virtual world right now. We're in the uh, what's the what's the word? Uh, mm, I was going to say hyperspace, but it's not hyperspace. Mm, cyberspace, metaverse, cyberspace, that metaverse. That's what I was going for. Thank you. The cyberspace metaverse. <laughs> yeah, we're we're whatever the opposite of meat space is. That's where we are right now. Veggie um, space. Veggie space? Interesting. Um, So we're really excited to hear about the new book, Quantum Shadows. Uh, So for those who don't know out there, what's it about? (laughs) Okay, that's going to be... Okay, first, the original title was a little bit longer. It was entitled Quantum Shadows of Heaven. Mm -hmm. But as publishers are wont to do, they liked it a little shorter. It also has a subtitle which is, or 45 ways of looking at a raven. Mm-hmm. Now, those are not just conceits. They're actually, actually practical because the book takes place in the far, far future, and it's basically high-tech with possibly an edge of fantasy in it. And the main character is Corvin. Corvin is, should we say, a form of past memory, personification of a raven, and troubleshooter. And um, this particular world is set in, it's called heaven. And there are 10 hegemonies of major religions. Each religion has its own territory, and there are literally thousands of villages of belief. The basic storyline is somebody is basically defacing each of the major temples or religious centers of the ten hegemonies and doing so with a fair amount of power. And Corvin's job, task, self-appointed duty is to stop whoever's doing it before they end up destroying heaven and trying to conquer it. I think a that's lot of people... Elevate... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I thought you were done. I was, was going to say that's the elevator pitch. <laughs> it's good it's good an elevator to heaven if you will um i i think you know people in our audience know that you do science fiction and fantasy but it feels like this this book is a combination uh it's 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 got fantasy in a science fiction world are you comfortable jumping back and forth like that oh yeah i mean basically it i called it a science fantasy to begin with Mm -hmm. um I'm not sure the publisher was happy with that, but that's it's a high-tech science fantasy. It really is. 
And when you're writing previous books too, I mean, so many people kind of get pigeonholed in, in one genre or the other, but it sounds like you are able to, to go back and forth between genres with, with pretty relative ease. Well, I actually started out as a hard science. Well, I started out as a poet, but before that, but after that, I wrote hard science fiction for almost 20 years before I ventured into fantasy. I'm known as a fantasy author, but I've written 28 science fiction novels. <laughs> 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 well and and in this one it sounds like uh there you've you've got a very religious theme going on uh here it it doesn't sound like yeah it's not so much a religious theme as a conflict between ethics and religion um mm -hmm. people tend to think they're the same and they're not and um it's an exploration if you will of the interplay of, of ethics with various established religions and their offshoots. Now, the the regions are generally theological governments, right? Is that right? Broadly, exactly. All except one. There are nine, shall we say, religiously based hegemonies, and they're the poetics, which is the future offshoot of, of if you will, Islam. There are several future varieties of Christianity. There's a fusion, let's just say it's a fusion of Zen, Confucianism, and one other thing, which I'm not going to mention hmm. because it would be a spoiler. Um, mm -hmm. There's another Chinese religion. There is, um, shall we say, I don't know what you would call Tibetan Confucianism. That's in there. Mm -hmm. uh, there there's Judaism. There is Mormonism and a few others. And in addition to that, there are Zoroastrians in there. Pardon? Yeah, there are actually you have are. Any Zoro? <laughs> yeah? yeah, I okay. do have a Zoro. I they are not a hegemony. They are a mm. they are a town of belief. Because in addition They're to in the, the suburbs. That makes sense. Well, no, yeah. in addition to the hege <laughs> hegemonies, there are literally hundreds and thousands of villages or towns of belief mm -hmm. which do not have should we say enough believers to control much territory? That makes sense. So it's kind of like they have their own power structures, and the the more belief in a certain area you have, the the larger the the area you get to control. Yeah, pretty much. The one group that is not religious are the skeptics. So you basically have, if you will, on mm -hmm. the hegemonies, nine religious base, hundreds or thousands of smaller religious groups, and a fairly large chunk of territory controlled by the skeptics. Corvin, the protagonist, is a power of sorts in the skeptics. The other thing is that all of this is patrolled by an orbiting high-intelligence AI system called the Eyes of Heaven. And to make things a little interesting, there are no bridges across the rivers on the world of heaven. Bridges are mm. forbidden, as are aircraft. You can have ferries. You can have high-speed hydrofoils. But you can't go into the air, and you can't build bridges to cross the rivers. Hmm. And that's enforced by the eyes of heaven. I love this, because as a former yeah. bookstore employee, uh, I would shelve this book in about 15 different sections so far. That's it's great. So the the protagonist, um, so we have Corvin. So yeah. he's part of the, I don't know what to call them. Would he be part of the skeptic faction or part of the skeptic? I'm not going to tell you who Corvin is. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> because that's that's part of the book. You learn to find out who he is. Got it. Okay. He's basically known as the Raven, and he's also known simultaneously as the Shadow of the Raven. Yeah, I was going to say this is super interesting because I've been watching American Gods recently. I, we we read the book for Sword and Laser ages ago. I've read it a number of times. So deities have really been on my mind lately. Um, I'm curious, what are they like in your book compared to how others like Gaiman have portrayed them in the past or I guess even in our own minds? I don't know that anybody has portrayed anything quite like what I've done here. I mean, it doesn't really compare. I mean, I've read American Gods a couple of times, but it's very different from that. I mean, American Gods is pretty gritty. And mm -hmm. this is a high-tech thing where everything is much more subtle, much more indirect, and the consequences are much, much greater. The backstory of heaven is it's the last planet of humanity. Because basically, over the course of time from where we are now to the far, far future, human race has managed to colonize and inhabit a number of systems, and they've destroyed all of them. Humanity, in this world at least, seems to have this great trouble in coming to terms with itself, which is why <clears throat> the forerunners who survived the last fall set up a heaven in a way which they hoped would forestall this. But once again, shall we say the forces of wanting to be supreme on tribalism are raising their ugly heads, and Corvin's got to deal with it. And we mentioned uh, you mentioned the the poetics as as one of the uh, one of the nine regions, uh, and and you use some poetry in the book as well. Uh, do you need to switch into poetry brain uh, when you write poetry, or, or does it all kind of flow from the same source? I guess it flows from the same source, but the poetry is harder. That's one of the mm. reasons why it took me almost five, almost five years, six years to write this thing. Um, <laughs> for your readers, one of the reasons why the subtitle is 45 Ways of Looking at a Raven is the entry to every chapter is prefaced by a traditional quatrain or couplet, rhymed and metered, dealing with a raven, which bears on the chapter which follows. I'm always so impressed when when authors are able to integrate poetry or even ah, we were talking to Veronica Roth recently uh, for her new book, Chosen Ones. Um, and she was talking about how in the beginning of her chapters, she ha she uses kind of like multimedia clips that she writes. And one of them was a stand up comedian. And so she had to actually write stand up comedy. And I was just so impressed by that because writing a book is hard enough, but then having to go into this complete separate mind space of thinking outside of the box or outside of your comfort zone for for adding something like that. Um, so I imagine it's it's got to be a lot like that for writing poetry, too, in, in many ways. Actually, I can't say that. I started out as a writer, as a poet. So for you, it's 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 comfortable ground. It's fairly comfortable ground, although I'm much more of a traditionalist. I stand with rhyme and meter far more. I think mm. today's poetry has become much more, shall we say, visual instant images as opposed mm -hmm. to what traditional poetry is, which had to be, in a lot of ways, rhymed and metered because it was oral, and that was the way you transmitted it. And we tend to have lost that. And I think poetry has lost its power. 
or an awful lot of its power because it doesn't have that rhyme and meter. And I frankly think rap is a reaction to that. I'm not the world's greatest fan of rap, but I think it manifests the, shall we say, the cultural feeling of loss of not having rhyme and music together and meter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the. I was thinking that as as you were mentioning that 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 music has is is the place for rhyme and meter now that it it has moved out of poetry in in a large extent and 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 in, in a way you can look at at the lyrics of songs as as being poetry, especially rap. Well, more so rap. There's well, but anyway, in any case, mm-hmm. poetry has always been a part of what I what I've done. I mean, this isn't the first time I did it. There are two books in the Recluse Saga which are literally tied together by a book of embedded poetry that the protagonist receives in about the third chapter of the first book. And almost all the song lyrics in all of my books I wrote. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit uh, before we wrap up uh, about uh, the state of things now. Uh, How has it been promoting your book during a lockdown during a time when you when you can't travel do you, do you prefer it this way is it just different how, how do you feel about it it's frustrating mm-hmm. because generally i mean i'm not well i literally built my career early on in traveling because what i do doesn't fit into a box my readers come from anywhere there's no definable market segment for me and so when i first started out tor didn't know what to do so they just sent me out there and gave let me have a rental car. I'd have a signing one night, and I, basically I'd hit every bookstore that I could go into and talk to people. And I did that for about 10 years. And during that time, I was in more than 40% of all the Barnes and Nobles in the country, 30% of all the borders before they closed, and a couple hundred other bookstores. Well, one, you can't do that anymore because you've they closed down so many bookstores, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I still like to get out there and talk to people because, again, I still have the same problem I've always had. I don't fit in any real niche. And when you don't fit in a niche, you really need to keep in contact with people and continue to tell people about who you are and what you do. So... Well, yeah, it's frustrating right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully, uh, you know, we can be a, a, at least a partial uh, fill-in for that uh, here. It's the best we could do. Times being what they are, but yeah, I can imagine it's real frustrating. Well, that's one of the that's one of the reasons, frankly, why I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, without conferences and and bookstore signings and and things like that, it's been it's been a very unusual time for for promoting books. We've talked to a number of authors about that recently. Um, Speaking of books, is there anything that you've been reading lately that's really gotten you going? Um, yeah, <laughs> there have been a, there have been there have been a few. I honestly can't remember the exact title, but it's Sylvia Moreno something or other. Her series on mm, the mm-hmm. creatures of what is it? Um, Gods of Jade and Shadow. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah, Gods Sylvia of Jade Moreno and Garcia. Yeah. That I thought was particularly fascinating. That's pr- that's the one that probably stands out at that at this particular point. I just finished one that's a, that's very charming. I'm not. It's not nearly so ambitious, but it's Carolyn Stevener's the uh, Class Magician. Oh, that sounds fun. It it's, it was charming and fun. It's not nearly as challenging, 
but mm. I did enjoy, I did enjoy it. I don't read as much as I used to. I still probably read. I try and read these days. I try and read at least one books by authors I have not read before. I mean, I do have a few comfort reads here and there, but I try and see things and people that I haven't read on and. I don't always agree with the critics, so I'm often disappointed a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> when something's good and then you read it and you don't find it lived up to the the uh, standard? I think I tend to like depth that's not pretentious. And mm -hmm. it's very difficult to find a deep book that doesn't come off as pretentious. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's what I tried to do with Quantum Shadows, because there's a great deal of theological depth in it. But I tried to make it, shall we say, a relatively easy read. Mm. But yeah. the, early in, the early indications is that readers are either going to like this a whole lot or they're not going to like it very much at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I like to go back and forth between something a little more difficult and something a little more easygoing. And, and I guess I call them like, you know, fun reads or, or something a little bit lighter once in a while. It's hard to go back to back with real deep, profound novels every single time. You need a little space to, to rest your brain sometimes. Bush. Yes, exactly. Cleanse the palate, if you will. Quantum Shadows is interesting in that sense because Corvin, the main character, isn't the slightest pretentious. He often comments on pretension, but he's seen a lot. You might call him cynically but cheerfully world-weary. Sounds like Tom. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe someday. <laughs> well, I, I feel like uh, with some of the N.K. Jemisin stuff that, that we've read for Sword and Laser, uh, with Dar Oakley uh, about mm. the Raven that we've read, uh, there's there's a lot of of preparatory material that you know, if you like those books, you might like Quantum Shadows as well. Uh, it, it really does take me back to shelving books in the religion section, the science section, the sci-fi fantasy section, of course. Uh, and and I, I loved all of those uh, those sections. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this story. Well, it, it's certainly different f from much of what I've done in some ways and, and similar in others, but it was something that I have wanted to do for a long time, and it took me a long time to put it together in the way that I wanted. Good things take time, right? Well, especially if they're complicated and you want to make them so that they're not as complicated. Well, you want to make it easy for the reader to digest the complications without, without seeming pretentious at the same time. Absolutely. So Quantum Shadows is coming out July 21st, my birthday. Thank you very much, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I know you planned that, right? Well, I'm really glad that there's somebody who can celebrate on it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you'll both be celebrating. Yeah. Um, and where can people follow along with your work? Do you have a website that you keep all your fans informed about your, your latest podcasts and appearances and, and things you're doing out there in the world? I don't do social media, but I do have a website. It's Ellie at com, And that's just basically my whole name run together. L-E-M-O-D-E-S-I-T-T-J-R.com. And basically, I post blogs twice weekly, give updates on what I'm writing, what I've read, and um, comment great. on the field, the world in general, science fiction, 
And because I spent 20 years in politics, I often comment on politics. <laughs> An increasingly perilous occupation. Uh, so I commend your, your commitment to it. Well, I try to try to present facts at that in it relatively, mm-hmm. shall we say, the facts are unbiased. I think one of the things that bothers me today is facts have become a subject of dispute. Mm-hmm. And facts simply are. As somebody said, or a lot of people have said, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're really not entitled to your own facts. Mm-hmm. I think that bothers me a great deal. The less we can agree on what are facts, the the more impossible the situation becomes, because facts are facts, like you say. <laughs> or, it's been around in science fiction for a long time, you cannot repeal the law of gravity by legislation. <laughs> 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 well said. Well, well, well reset, but yes. well said. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, I am really glad to have done it. And I appreciate you having me on. Of course. And for all of you out there, our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to all the folks who back our show. If you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Uh, you can find links to the books we talk about, like Quantum Shadows by Ellie Modisett Jr. over at swordandlaser.com slash picks. All right, send us an email feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our social channels are all at Sword and Laser. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash sword and laser. And we will see you next time. Bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.